My name is Rick Swing. For those who may not know who I am and you're tuning in via live stream, I'm the executive pastor here at Westwood. Been here for many, many years. It's been a joy of, of mine and my wife, Linda, and our family to have served here at Westwood and served the people that we have come not just to love, but to walk alongside as we go through this journey called faith. And it is so very important. And so thank you for being here online. Our pastor, Kenneth, he is up in Kentucky uh, getting his kids back. Um, his family, their families are both up there in Kentucky, and um, they've had the kids for the last couple of weeks. So that's where they're at. Pastor Kenneth will be back here in the pulpit next week. But until he gets back, you have me. So thank you for being with us today. I really, really appreciate it and really appreciate your prayers for your staff. It means a lot especially during these times as we try to navigate what takes place. I wore the mask very simply because I'm not one who likes to wear this mask, not that I have a pretty face for the people to see, but I do this because I think I have a responsibility. My wife and I, when we're out and about, uh, we wear this mask. It gets less cumbersome the more I do it. Um, and I know sometimes in our world today we have politicized everything, and I've heard it said, well, if you wear a mask, then you're a Democrat. If you don't wear one, you're a Republican. And let me just tell you how stupid that sounds. I hate to use that word, but that's exactly what it is, y'all. It just does not make sense to feel that way. Last week in this service, we had a 93-year-old man, Mr. Ernest McLean, who came. He is so faithful, and he loves his church, and he loves his people, He's 93 years of age, and he came with a mask on last week. I want to wear my mask so that we can have more of those earnestes come to church on a regular basis. So please, let's all do our part. It doesn't take much. Let's just do our part as we go forward. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy um, in the New Testament. So if you go to the very back of your Bible, you'll see it near the back of the Bible. 2 Timothy is where we're going to be today, and I'm really excited about having read 2 Timothy. You know, I've, I've read it before, but this last week and a half when I knew I was going to be preaching today, having read it over and over again, it's four chapters. It is such, it's so rich, and there's such a great story that I want to share with you all today. But I want you to know that we as a staff, me as an individual, God designed me, and the reason I'm in the ministry is because God had designed me to make an impact in this world. My calling wasn't to be a student pastor, even though I was a student pastor for 15 years. My calling isn't to be an executive pastor, even though I've done that for many, many years. My calling is to make a difference in people's lives. And so when we're not able to do that, our hearts get grieved along the way. In fact, true story, I had a couple who um, just needed some marriage checkups, and um, so they came to the office a few weeks ago, and they walked in, and I told them, I said, I can't tell you how happy I am you're in here for marriage counseling. I was going, Rick, what did you just say? But I was, I was excited that I could pour into somebody along the way, and I pray that you are the same way. If you have a faith like we do, like I do, a faith that says Jesus lives inside me, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, I need to make a difference in this world, and I pray that we are even in the midst of this pandemic. So if you have your Bibles, the book of 2 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 4, but before we get there, just let me lay the groundwork of 2 Timothy. 
Paul writes this to his protege in the ministry. Timothy was a young man who accepted Christ or he knew about the scriptures early on in life because he grew up in a home where the scriptures were shared. And Paul took him along his side and Paul was pouring into Timothy and and Paul looked at Timothy as this this son of his. In fact, in verse 1 or in verse 2 of chapter 1, Paul says this, he says, to Timothy, my dearly loved son. He had this affection for Timothy that he was along for the ride, this journey of faith, and to carry this gospel forward. And Paul writes this as a last will and testament. In other words, these are the things, Timothy, that really matter in life. There's a lot of things in life, but there's only a few that really, really matter. And so Paul writes this to Timothy because he's really wanting him to encourage him to stay in the faith. Because this is a time Paul knows that he's going to die. He is in prison. He is in Rome. And he knows that his time has come to the end. In fact, at the very end of this, in chapter 4, he tells, he tells Timothy, please come before winter. So he probably writes this in the fall. Paul's going to die sometime in the next year. He realizes this, his time has come to an end. So it's this passion plea, if you will, to his son in the faith saying, Timothy, hang in there in the midst of everything that's going on, hang in there. And we see it in in verse six of chapter one. He says, therefore, I remind you, Timothy, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. During this time, there was many who was in the faith who were falling away because they were being persecuted. Nero was was there in Rome, and he blamed the Christians for the fire that took place in Rome. And so there was this heavy persecution, death that was taking place. So many of the followers of the faith were beginning to, to fall away or, or have less of an impact. And Paul is begging Timothy, you hang in there. You do the things that we've been doing together. Keep ablaze. Keep the fire of the faith going in your life. So this is the premise of 2 Timothy, this amazing last will and testament that Paul writes to his son in the faith. Now I want you to go to chapter four. Let me read the first five verses. And these are the five truths that Paul leaves with Timothy and says, Timothy, these are the things I want you to hold on to. Teddy bears are great. Panda bears are great. But the most important things are the things I'm going to give you right now. So I'm just going to say this because I want this to be personal. I've got three sons right now. I've got Mitch, and he is my son-in-law married to my daughter, Danielle. I have Josh, my oldest, and Jordan, my middle child. My middle, those three boys, I want you to hear this message because I want you to know as a father who loves you, these are the things that I want you to know because I don't know how long Rick Swing's going to be around. Who knows when God's going to take me? But these are the things that really, really matter in life. And this is what Paul says, writing in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. So here's Paul. He's saying, Timothy, because we have this appearance in front of God, God is is here to judge everything that we do, everything we say. This is really important. This is my testimony to you. He said in verse 2, proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience 
in teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, Timothy, be serious about everything. In other words, have exercise self-control in your life, Timothy. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So here's Paul. He's telling Timothy, these things are the five things that really, really matter in life. So what are we up against? So here's Paul. He's telling this to Timothy, and he's going like, what are we up against, Timothy? As you go and you, as you continue to keep ablaze, what are you going to face? I want you to turn back, if you will, to chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. And Paul outlines the, the, the times that are going to be ahead. And I think it's so apropos because, to me, we're in these kind of times. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. This is what you're going to be up against as you try to do these five things. He says, Paul writes, but you know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Paul says, stay clear of those kind of people. This is what you're going to be up against as you try to do these five things that I want you to do. So let's go back to chapter four. Let's look at these five things in more detail as Paul writes this to Timothy. Second Timothy four, verse two, the very beginning of that verse, he says, proclaim the message. What really matter? These five things, number one is to proclaim Jesus in your, in your life. Proclaim the message. Paul begins this charge to Timothy with the most important element of all, and that is Jesus. See, Paul knew that times were going to be hard, that, that there would be times it's going to hurt, that life wasn't always going to be the way we wanted it to be. It was going to be disappointing, and it was going to be hard to, to, to persevere. And he says, listen, the most important thing is to proclaim the message, which is the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, this persistence and this perseverance caused Paul to write these words in chapter 1, these firmest Famous words of verse 12, it says, But I am not ashamed, because I know the one I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard that which has been entrusted to me until that day. Jesus is guarding your salvation until that day. We proclaim Jesus. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, Amen. Nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love that is in God, that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's about Jesus. It's not about anything else. It's not about me. It's about the person of Christ who is in me. Here's a question. 
Do my actions, what I do on a regular basis, on a daily basis, do my actions reflect my words, the message of Jesus? How do you communicate the message of Jesus to your family? Which speaks louder, your actions or your words? You know, I, I, I had the opportunity, the great opportunity uh, to grow up in a Christian home. <clears throat> I grew up in a small town of Francisville, Indiana. And uh, in fact, I have, I have family in Valparaiso, Indiana, that I think maybe listen to this message today. And, and Paul and Candy and John and Lorraine and those, uh, thank you for watching. But I grew up in a home that loved Jesus. And I grew up with a grandparents that both loved Jesus. So I saw it not just from my mom and dad, but I saw it from others who were in our family. And I can remember as a child at seven years of age, being in my grandmother's house in Francisville, Indiana, and accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior at age seven. See, I had heard the words of Jesus over and over and over again, but it was their actions that were always faithful. They were, they were the same yesterday as they were that day. And so what they said matched up to what they believed and how they acted along the way. In fact, about, um, let me see, I accepted Christ at seven. It's about 30 years later, I think we're celebrating Grandpa and Grandma Von Tobel's 50th anniversary. And so we're all on a cruise out in the sea someplace. And I had my kids. And so all the grandkids were there. And I'll never forget, we lost the grandkids. We didn't know where they were. So we're searching the, the boat for all the grandkids. And I was coming up this stairwell on the boat, and I heard this noise. I heard this singing that was taking place. And it was my grandmother. And she had all of her grandkids in front of her. And she was singing hymns to our kids. Their actions always reflected their words and it made a difference in our life. They proclaimed Jesus, the message of the gospel, over and over and over again. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ, I have become new. Because somebody proclaimed the message of Jesus in my life. Dads, let me just tell you, the most important job you have isn't to put a, a, a roof over, over your family's head. It's not to make sure they're fed. All those, those things are hugely important and it's part of our responsibilities. The most important job you have is the message of Jesus proclaiming that in your home. Second truth that matters. Paul goes on to write there in that, in that second verse of chapter four. He says, persist in it whether convenient or not. Proclaim this message and persist in it whether it's convenient or not. And that means we need to persevere in all conditions. Be prepared to share the hope that we have with inside of us. Paul is telling Timothy that he is supposed to preserve in this gospel, that's keeping this gospel ablaze in his life. No matter whether he's in prison, no matter he's been running for his life, no matter whether he has to go underground with his faith, he says, 
You stay persistent, persevere in all conditions. In other words, make the gospel of Christ, his life, the centerpiece of your life. Make the gospel of Christ and his life the centerpiece of our lives. So how do we do that? Rick, how do we persevere in all conditions, in all circumstances, whether it's convenient or not? Two simple things. Number one, be accountable. Paul was holding Timothy accountable for all the things that he had witnessed along the way. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. And then in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul writes, But you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Timothy, you have followed, which literally means you have been at my side, fully understanding what it's all about. Be accountable. Who is holding you accountable to persevere in the gospel? If you're a man and you're listening to me, I want you to know our plans are on August 3rd. That's a Monday night at 7 p.m. We're calling all men, and you can bring those from your workplace. We're calling all men to gather right here. We will social distance. We will wear masks if we have to. But we want to hold each other accountable for this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first thing is be accountable. Here's number two. Be responsible. How do we persevere? Be accountable and be responsible. 2 Timothy 2 verse 21 says, if anyone purifies, literally purges themselves, if anybody purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good and great work. Take charge of the decisions you make. Please don't blame anybody else. Be responsible for that as you go forward. So how do we persevere? Be accountable. Have somebody asking you tough questions. Where's your eyes been? Where have you been thinking about this week? What has Jesus been teaching you? And be responsible for the decisions that you make. Don't blame anybody else. Here's the third truth. So we proclaim Jesus. We persevere in all conditions. And here's number three. Paul tells Timothy, I want you to lead with grace. Look there in chapter 4, verse 2, the very end of that verse. So he says, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. It's all about leading. What kind of leaders have we been? Do we lead with grace along the way? You know, as a dad... I did the first three of those pretty good. I could rebuke pretty good. I could correct pretty good. And sometimes I could encourage pretty good. But the patience part of this thing, man, I failed miserably. I can remember correcting my boys. We didn't use the word correcting. That was like spanking back in the day. And uh, we had our special spanking spoons. And um, I can always hear Linda's voice telling me. she, She was always the voice of patience for me. Wanted me to get all the facts before I ran in the room like a wild banshee just swinging away. Here, here was Linda going, hey, Rick, man, get all the facts before you go in here with that spoon and just start making crazy stuff happen. 
I was, patience was not one of my attributes. And I know my boys, they're, they're right now, they're going, boy, that's exactly right. If they were here today, they would tell you, patience wasn't my best part. But he says, lead with grace. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. In other words, grace upon grace. He keeps giving it. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. If we want to lead with grace, it is a picture of humility in your life. That's what leading with grace looks like. Is there this picture of humility in my life that says that I'm going to lead, I'm going to rebuke, and I'm going to correct, I'm going to encourage, I'm going to have patience, and I'm going to have teaching in my home? Are we leading with grace? Paul's telling Timothy, Paul, Timothy, this is what you need to do. You don't only proclaim the name of Jesus. You don't only just persevere in all conditions. You lead with grace those who are around you. And number four, Paul tells Timothy to focus on the goal. Look down to verse five. He says, but as for you, Timothy, be serious about everything. Have self-control in your life. Endure hardship. And you may be saying, well, Rick, okay, I want to focus on goal. So what's the goal? What's our goal? And the goal is to finish the race. It's a journey. And by the way, this past year, it's been more of a journey. There's so much that's happened. But the goal is to finish the race. Paul writes in verse 7, here's Paul. He's knowing that he has come to the end of his journey. His calling and the will of God upon his life to go take this gospel to the ends of the earth and to do it the best that he can. Paul knows he's coming to the end of his race and he writes it in verse seven, these famous words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Literally, my life's journey is coming to an end and I have kept the faith. Acts 20 verse 24 says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That's my goal. That's what I should be focusing on is that journey, the race that he's put in front of me to win it, to win it. I don't know about you, but us men, we, many t- we, t- we oftentimes get too distracted along the way. A couple of weeks ago, I preached and I called that drifting. Andy Stanley said that, that his quote was that we typically, we don't drift in the right directions. In other words, we usually drift in wrong directions, not towards Jesus, not towards the things of God, but other, other ways and other places. But we get distracted. Our jobs, they get in the way. Our hobbies, they take up too much time. Our past and it clouds our, our judgment. I want you to know that no one cares about your past. Move on. Whether it's a good past or a bad past, it's time to move forward. We have a task. We have a mission. We have a goal. How about this one? This gets in the way. Our own self-pity. The woe is me. As if nobody else has problems. You know, I have conversations all the time with people about what we're going through as a church. And there was, these will be businessmen who will call me and say, hey, what kind of protocols are you putting in place as you go forward? And I want you to know that everybody's dealing with this. Not just Westwood. Everybody's dealing with this. I, can't, I don't have time to have self-pity about what's taking place. 
Everyone has problems. What we need to do is we need to get up and just try again. Get up and just try again. When I, when I learned how to ride a bike, I can't remember back totally, but I remember my kids learning how to ride a bike. There were some crash sessions that took place, you know. It, did, it wasn't just like, hey, get on the bike and go ride. No, it took time. We would crash and we would keep crashing. And listen, nobody cared that I was crashing. What we do is we get back up and get back on that bike. We would crash, we'd get back up, we would crash, you'd get back up until we could ride the bike. Let's get back up. When you crash and you burn, get back up. We don't have time for self-pity in this world anymore. The gospel's that important. Jeremiah 32 verse 39 says, and I will give them one heart and one way, literally one path that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children and for them. God wanted to make it easy, especially for us men. God says, fear me and what will be good. Let's focus on the goal, the race that he's put before us. And here's number five, and I'll be done. Paul tells Timothy to finish the mission There in verse five, the second part, it says, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We need to finish what God has started in our life. And I hate to say this, but just like in biblical days, just like here in in the book of 2 Timothy, and Paul is saying many people have fallen away from the faith, so many of us fail in this part of finishing the mission. We started strong. We had a fire for Jesus We loved the church. We loved doing things for the Lord. But life got in the way. We let the things of this world replace the mission that he put in front of us. In verses 3 and 4 of there in chapter 4, Paul writes this, and it's this picture of of people who have become kind of annoyed, if you will, with the gospel. Look at verses three and four. It says, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul pictured a people that they were ministering to. Paul pictured a people who would be bored by, apathetic to, and annoyed by the truths of the gospel, and that is true today. Finish the mission. So here's the big question. So what's your mission? What's my mission? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes these words. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Your mission and my mission is to point people to the cross of Christ. And it has to start in your home as a husband, as a father, and now for me as a grandfather. God has entrusted my family to me, not the government, not the school system, and not even the church, and certainly not this world. He gave them to me to lead and to love and to finish my mission. That's my mission. So what's the impact point? Rick, so you said all this. 
Here's Paul's last will and testament to Timothy, and he writes these things, that these are the five things that really matter. What's the impact point? Here it is. Life is way too short. But life is long enough to finish what Christ has started. I want to read that again. Impact point. Life is way too short. But life is long enough to finish what Christ has started. Make a commitment to finish the mission. Men, we want you to, we're going to try to help you do that again August 3rd, a Monday night, 7 o'clock, right here. We'll wear face masks, we'll do whatever we can to help all of us finish the mission that God's put in front of us. So here's your homework, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Number one, I want all of us, and I'm going to do it some more because I love it. In fact, even this morning before I preached this sermon, I read through 2 Timothy twice. It'll take you about 15 minutes. It's four chapters. I want you to read 2 Timothy over and over again this next week. And then I want us to write down three things about Jesus that you are thankful for. Remembering why he died and rose from the grave. I want you to write three things that you're thankful for that Jesus has done for you. Let's remember. And let's keep ablaze this gospel that he's planted inside of us. Because one day, we're going to see him face to face.